Hello and welcome to the podcast of Vineyard Church here in Maryville, Tennessee. We post our Sunday messages here each week, as well as our conversations episodes, which include interviews, special announcements, and in-depth teaching. You can visit vineyardchurch.us to learn more about us or to access the audio archive. You can also subscribe to this podcast on Spotify, Apple, or Google Podcasts. And now, here's the episode. Hey guys, good to see you all. Hey, how about the first 11 seconds of that Tennessee game yesterday? It's great, wasn't it? If you DVR'd it, you don't have to listen or watch past 11 seconds. It, look, it got so bad in the Tennessee game yesterday that Dolly Parton messed up singing Rocky Top. Like, legit. If you didn't see it, it that happened. So, you know if Dolly messed up, it was, it was doomed. And it was. It was bad. Okay, let's transition, shall we? Uh, I don't want to talk about that anymore. Uh, I do want to talk about a couple of things related to missions, but before that, uh, you got two cards. One was on your seat. That's the Advent calendar. And that's really going to help you understand what's going on over these next few weeks. We would love for you guys to put that on your fridge. And there's another card in the seat back in front of you. That's that beautifully made. I think we're going to have a couple slides here also. Uh, Hey, my wife every year has put on this beautifully made market. If you've been to the market, throw your hand up real quick. A bunch of you. And that's quite a few of you that haven't. Listen, it's an event every year. It's open for five days starting this Saturday and then the next two weekends after that. And you can find the times on that card. And that's at Vienna Coffee House, which is a great establishment in downtown Maryville. They give us the second floor every year, the last few years, to do the beautifully made market. And listen, that has my wife, it's a fair trade thing where she uh, works with artists all around the world, helps them. Uh, get a good living income, and then uh, the products that she helps co-design with them are sold, and we use a lot of that money for for our missions stuff, and it literally has raised thousands and thousands of dollars over the years, so you can knock out your Christmas shopping, you can help artists around the world, and you can help with our missional efforts all by going there and shopping, and that starts this Saturday. would love for you guys to come out. A couple of things with that. One, uh, hey, look, this Saturday is going to be nuts. The first day is all always crazy. So come if you love like throwing elbows and stuff. Um, the next two weekends are really good times to come because she's still going to have a ton of stuff and, uh, and it's not quite as busy. Um, and the other thing is we really still need volunteers. So every year there's like 40, 50 volunteers that help her out. Um, and specifically this Saturday, the, fir- the first day, I think people are scared to come and work that first day. We still need a bunch of people to volunteer and you can go to beautifullymadefairtrade.com to volunteer. Okay. So please, please consider that. I hope after today we'll actually have all the volunteers that we need. Um, all right. I said, I want to give you a couple of quick missions updates and then we'll jump into finishing, uh, wrapping up the book of Galatians, which we've been in for quite a while now. Uh, first I want to tell you a couple of things about Haiti. Uh, I feel like every time I get up and talk about Haiti lately, it's like, ah, Haiti's really bad. <laughs> like it's, it's struggling. Uh, uh, you know, it's obviously a very poor country and we've been working there for about a dozen years now. Um, but now just the political unrest and violence and, and gang related violence is really, really bad. Uh, you can see this picture here is one of the schools that we have in a place called Laborde. And that's one of like a bunch of awesome ministries that we're still able to partner with, but we're not really able to go much right now. It's just been too difficult lately. Instead, one of the things we've, we've been doing, we, we did our first one this last year our team trips to the Dominican Republic. So if you know 
Uh, anything about Haiti, it shares an island with the Dominican Republic, the island of Hispaniola. Uh, Haiti's on the western side and the Dominican Republic's on the eastern side. And there's lots of Haitians that live in the Dominican Republic. Here's the tricky thing. There's a lot of racial tension between Dominicans and Haitians. And there's a huge historical reason for that, which I won't, I won't get into. And so one of the cool things that the vineyard has done over this last season is God has really used our tribe to help bring Dominicans and Haitians together in some incredible ways. We actually did our first trip just this last year to the Dominican Republic, working with both Haitians and Dominicans. And we're going to go back again this year. If you don't know this uh, cool announcement, uh, we are having a youth uh, uh, mission trip this May. Uh, Juniors and seniors, we're taking almost a dozen, I think about 10 juniors and seniors. Uh, Heather down there is going to go. Lily is going to go. And myself, we're the adults that are going to go and uh, and help uh, lead this youth mission trip. And it's so exciting. We're going to get you some more information about that actually coming up pretty soon, uh, even even tied to some must-have gift stuff. But I'm going to tease that out. We won't talk about it quite yet. So uh, that's coming up. That's a really exciting thing. And we're going to continue to get to work with Haitians in that way. I also want to mention a couple of things about uh, Africa. If you don't know, we primarily do work in Haiti and in the Ivory Coast uh, in West Africa. Uh, A couple of quick updates on the Ivory Coast. Uh, One of our churches, one of our larger churches that has started there was actually attacked by uh, kind of some radical Muslims not too long ago. Unfortunately, nobody was hurt, but the church uh, was basically destroyed, and we've actually been given some money to help them rebuild. The pastor basically, uh, we, we don't know what would have happened to him, but he was in the building and escaped with his life. And so just so you guys know, some of these places we're working in West Africa that you've heard me talk about in the past, is they are not easy places. There is some persecution that's happening there. But now we are working with six unreached people groups in the country of the Ivory Coast, which is incredible. We have seen literally thousands of Muslim and Muslim animist background folks come to an understanding and faith of Jesus Christ. Um, And it's a beautiful thing. And that work has now moved into several large cities in the Ivory Coast. And so uh, every once in a while, I just like to give you some updates on what's happening. We're not only working with unreached people groups, but we're working in some of the largest urban areas of the Ivory Coast, including the city of Abidjan, which is a city of about 6 million people, very influential in West Africa. So out of our little church here, guys, we've been able to make a really cool impact in that country. In fact, and you've heard me say this before, but that work has gone from the Ivory Coast to the country of Mali. And it's not been spearheaded by Americans, but by people from the Ivory Coast that helped launch that work. And now there are two unreached people groups in the country of Mali that are being worked with, which is incredible. I think that picture, that's, that's one of the main guys we're working with in Mali, a guy by the name of Sidibe, who God is just using him like crazy. Um, now, there's work being teased out in some other countries in West Africa. And so we're now looking at countries like Senegal and Guinea and Liberia and even uh, some really difficult countries like Niger and Mauritania. And if you know about Mauritania, that's actually an Islamic country, meaning that the government is Islamic. So uh, very difficult. I got a map of, of, uh, of Africa here. Look here, I got a laser pointer. I love these things. I always feel so powerful. But so just, just to give you a visual of what we're talking about. Oh, is it working? No. Yes. No. Oh, okay. Oh, well, you can see up there the country of Mali. That's where I was talking about 
right below that is, is the Ivory Coast. And then some of the areas that I'm talking about are just west of there. If you can see on the map, Mauritania, that's a, that's a very closed country in a lot of ways. And so a lot of the West African partners that we're working with now are, are, are literally doing mission trips themselves into some of these places. Isn't that awesome? And so we just praise God for what he's doing. Uh, we've been now working in West Africa for, I don't know, eight, nine years. And um, man, if you've been to this church for a long time, even you know as long as eight or nine years ago, you know, we were starting to have just a vision for West Africa and working with unreached people groups and starting in the Ivory Coast and, and partnering with the Holy Spirit to go to the north of, that, uh, of the Ivory Coast into some really difficult areas. And a lot of folks thought we were kind of crazy. <laughs> Why are we trying to tackle all this stuff? That's a lot of, that's a lot of work and uh, that's, those are difficult places. And praise God, he's doing it. He's, he's, he's continuing to lead and guide us into those waters. And so um, just want to praise God for his faithfulness over the last few years. So that's a few missions updates. Let me pray and we're going to jump into this week's message. Lord Jesus, we thank you very much for the opportunity to be here, even as I was talking about that church in that city of Segula that, that was attacked just a few weeks ago. I'm reminded that uh, we're here and, and that the temperature's relatively comfortable, a little cold, but it's, it's nice, and the seats are padded, and <laughs> the music was awesome, and we, we praise you for that, but we also just pray for our friends and partners around the world that don't have the same conditions. Um, Lord, help us not to take for granted what we have here in beautiful East Tennessee. And Lord, help us to seek after you hard today, uh, knowing that it is your grace that, and your mercy that allows us to be here. So we thank you, Jesus. Amen. All right. Uh, yeah, we're concluding our time in Galatians. Been on this book off and on for quite a while now. Uh, and just real briefly, if you've not been here, or you don't know, you really want to recap of the book of Galatians, here's the basic premise. Paul is writing a letter to the churches in an area called Galatia, and he had taken the gospel there, the gospel that uh, Jesus died on the cross, that he rose again, that we can put our faith in him, and that it is by his grace that we are saved. Um, and it was a beautiful, pure gospel that had been preached. And over time, some outside influences had come in and they had basically preached a works-related gospel that you had to, yeah, have faith in Jesus, but also do other things, including be circumcised in order to be saved. And it was a perverse gospel that had crept in. And so as we conclude our time today, we're going to be in the last chapter, chapter 6, and we're going to look at the last few verses, verses 11 through 18. I'll be in the New Living Translation, and here are the three basic things that Paul is going to finish and conclude with. Uh, three things, motives matter, the cross matters, and people matter. This is going to be what he says in his closing statement. So, verse 11. Paul says, notice what large letters I use as I write these closing words in my own handwriting. Paul writes his closing statement without a scribe. So most of this letter evidently had been written by a scribe. And Paul wants to say the last few things emphatically in large letters with his own handwriting. It's his way of saying, pay attention to this last part. Verse 12, those who are trying to force you to be circumcised want to look good to others. They don't want to be persecuted for teaching that the cross of Christ alone can save. And even those who advocate circumcision don't keep the whole law themselves. They only want you to be circumcised so they can boast about it and claim you as their disciples. As for me, may I never boast about anything except the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. 
Because of that cross, my interest in this world has been crucified, and the world's interest in me has also died. It doesn't matter whether we have been circumcised or not. What counts is whether we have been transformed into a new creation. May God's peace and mercy be on all who live by this principle. They are the new people of God. From now on, don't let anyone trouble me with these things, for I bear on my body the scars that show I belong to Jesus. This part kind of cracks me up. Paul is exhausted with all the pettiness of people and the shallow understanding they have of the gospel. That's what this whole letter, he's just been kind of ranting quite a bit. And so he finishes the letter by saying, do you not know all I've been through? I mean, this guy has been shipwrecked and bitten by a snake and beaten and stoned. He basically says, don't bother me anymore with this petty stuff that keeps creeping up. Uh, Pay attention to the authentic gospel that I've given you. So he finishes by saying, don't bother me anymore with this stuff. And in verse 18, he, then he gets real nice. He's like, dear brothers and sisters, may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. I love that. He's like really mad. And then all of a sudden he's like, all right, love you guys. Peace out. Um, So the first point that I see, you know, pick out kind of three things in this closing statement of Paul. And the first thing, again, is motives matter. Look again at verses 12 through 13. Paul says, those who are trying to force you to be circumcised want to look good to others. They don't want to be persecuted for teaching that the cross of Christ alone can save. And even those who advocate circumcision don't keep the whole law themselves. They only want you to be circumcised so they can boast about it and claim you as their disciples. They wanted to look good on the outside. They wanted a squeaky clean version of church. And I don't know about you guys, have you ever been a part of something that looks really good on the outside, but underneath uh, it's like a pipe bomb ready to blow? (laughs) You ever been a part of something like that? Maybe like a business or workplace that you've been a part of, like on the surface level, it looks really good. And then you know the, the kind of toxic culture that's inside of it. You ever been a part of something like that? Or maybe a family, like on the outside, the family looks wonderful, you know, perfect family, the kids' hair is always nice, and their shoes are always shiny, and everybody's smiling, but you actually know the culture in the family, and it's like really toxic. Uh, Or maybe a church, you know, maybe a church that looks really good and says the right things and seems to do the right things, but underneath there's some really icky stuff going on. I don't know if you've ever been a part of something like that. Um, I was a part of something like that once. Uh, I was a part of a Christmas nativity scene, one of those drive-by Christmas nativity scenes. You guys ever done one of those? They're really sweet, really beautiful. I grew up in uh, part of my childhood in Kentucky. Uh, Amy, go Kentucky. Uh, (laughs) uh, Bowling Green, Kentucky was the particular church that we were at at the time. My dad was pastoring a church there uh, and I was probably, I don't know, eight or nine years old. And they, we had one of those drive-by nativity scenes. And I got chosen to be a shepherd boy. I was like the cutest shepherd boy. I had my staff and my outfit. I, I looked really, really cute. And people would come by and I know they were looking at me more than baby Jesus, more than Mary. I, they were like, oh, look at that shepherd boy. I, that's what I felt anyway. And so we had our, our, our nativity scene. Um, we had the little stable that we'd built and we actually had live animals, which was awesome. So we had baby Jesus, little baby doll, uh, uh, in, in, in the manger, we had Joseph and Mary and they looked the part. They, 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 they were great. We had several other, you know, characters and then we had live animals, which was a wonderful touch. We had, I think maybe some sheep and maybe, maybe a chicken running around. I don't know, but we had a donkey. I remember most vividly the donkey because I was standing there, cars were going going by, everybody was oohing and on. It was a wonderful, beautiful scene on the surface until I got bored and tried 
to pet the donkey and the donkey viciously bit my finger and I screamed and the whole scene erupted in madness. Animals started running around and baby Jesus fell out of the manger. You never want that. And I'm pretty sure that Mother Mary, beautiful virgin Mother Mary said a swear word really loudly. I think some cars heard. I mean, you never want explicit content from Virgin Mary. You just don't want that in your nativity scene. Yeah, on the surface, it was really, really great. But there was a donkey. It was a pipe bomb ready to blow. Um, this was the situation in Galatia. All right. By the way, it's almost Christmas time. And when you guys start like looking at your nativity scenes and stuff like that, just, I mean, there was a baby delivery in a barn with live animals. It probably didn't look like that. So my, my Bowling Green, Kentucky nativity scene probably was more accurate. But anyway... But this was the situation in Galatia. The Galatians, they'd had this, this pure gospel preached to them. But now these Judaizers, these influencers that were coming in saying, yeah, have faith in Jesus, but also you need to do this and this and this. They had weaved in this crooked works-based gospel to keep everything looking calm and copacetic. But there was a biting donkey, a.k.a. a works-based gospel in their midst in Galatia. And it was a recipe for disaster. Surface level looked great, everybody was happy, but underneath there was this false doctrine being preached. And we gotta ask ourselves today, what are our motives? Why do we do the Christian thing? What is underneath the surface of why we do all this stuff? Paul said that supposed Christians that were influencing the Galatians, they wanted approval, they wanted control, and they had this watered down gospel in order to avoid persecution. In other words, they wanted something that looked good on the outside, like a lovely nativity scene. And, and do we do that today? Uh, when, we, uh, when we talk about Jesus in our families and in our workplaces and, and at church, what are we really talking about? What are the motives behind what we do? This is what Paul was trying to address in the whole book of Galatians and even in his closing statement here. In verse 12, he says that these guys only wanted to look good to others. They wanted a surface-level religion centered around the appearance of being good. Now, many people claim faith and religion so that they can feel morally and ethically superior to those around them. You know, they have this, this here in the Southeast especially, we have that whole, I don't drink, smoke, cuss, or chew, and I don't go with girls that do kind of Christianity, right? Squeaky clean, really nice. And it's a works-based understanding of Christianity, which is actually no Christianity at all. So what is real Christianity? That's what Paul wants to drive home to the Galatians. There's this guy named David Platt who told a really interesting story. It was actually a, a true story about a, a, a situation he found himself in. David Platt's a really missional guy, and he had, I think he was in a country of, uh, of Indonesia. I'm trying to remember the story right. But he was in Indonesia, and he was hanging out at a Buddhist uh, temple with uh, this Buddhist monk and uh, this, uh, this, I think it was an Islamic guy. And uh, they were having this really great conversation around, you know, oh yeah, we have differences in our religions, but you know, we can be at peace with one another and it's all good. And it was really great. And so anyway, they're talking in this, 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 this Buddhist temple and in the distance there was a mountain where they were at. And so the Buddhist monk piped in at one point and he said, you know, it's, it's really beautiful that we can be here talking together today, a Christian pastor, a Buddhist monk, and an Islamic uh, imam. 
and we can have this conversation and we can be at peace with one another. It reminds me like that mountain over there, there are multiple paths to get to the top of that mountain. In fact, I've climbed that mountain. I've taken many different ways to get there. And that's what this is like. Like uh, life in general, there are many ways to get to God. If God is at the top of the mountain, there's lots of paths to get there. It's a very universalist kind of approach to thinking, right? So he said, you know, you can take your Christian path and I can take my Muslim path and, or, or Buddhist path, or we can just do good works or we can pray the right things or whatever the case may be, but ultimately we're all going on our way to God. And David Platt spoke up and he, did, he said, I don't mean to be controversial, but that's actually not what my faith, that's not what we believe. And, and the other two guys were like, oh, you know, kind of embarrassed and tried to play it off. And they said, oh, sure, yeah, whatever. He was like, no, seriously, like, like it's a totally different paradigm where I'm coming from. Because while all the other paths in life do try to get to God, my path says there is no way to get to God. There is no way to get to God. And so God had to come down the mountain to us. That's a different way of thinking. And that is what Paul is trying to address with the Galatians here. That, you know, I preach this gospel that it is by grace through faith, and it's only by grace through faith. It's only by the gift of God for us. Only God could do a salvific work. Only he can save. We cannot save ourselves. Our sin separates us from God. And you were trying to say that there's something you can do to bend God's arm and make him say uncle to save you. And, they, and that's not how it works. That's what Paul's trying to drive home here. But we can still, this, this, this works-based Christianity constantly creeps into our culture today. Let me give you some examples. We can parent with this works-based Christianity. How, how many of you know that? We, how many of you know that some Christians really try to have a fear-based approach to parenting their kids by getting their kids to think that God is going to be mad at them in some way if they don't do behave a certain way. And we don't say that directly to our kids, but sometimes the, the Christianity we offer our kids is a fear-based Christianity. It's, hey, God's gonna be mad at you if you don't behave in this way. And this can creep in in Christian cultures all the time. So we can parent this way. We can social media this way. Have you been on social media and seen the way that Christians try to promote their ethics and leverage their ethics and their moral standards over others. And then it becomes a war on social media. And it's all this works-based kind of mentality on how we want to get across our Christianity to the culture. And it comes across as, as, as icky and it turns people off because it's all works-based. It's, 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 moral, it's moral hijacking. And I see it all the time. It's manipulative and it's wrong. I mean, it's no different than what these outside influencers were coming to the churches in Galatia and trying to do. It's wielding Christianity, listen, it's wielding Christianity as an apparatus to control people. And how many of you know that some of the greatest human atrocities toward other humans have been done in the name of Jesus? It's all over history, all over the history books. And this, listen, that's why this is so serious. This is why Paul is absolutely adamant about this false and perverse gospel that had infiltrated the church in Galatia because motives matter. There's this great, great saint in 
uh, Christian history named St. Ignatius of Loyola. Uh, and he had all kinds of helpful spiritual practices. One of his spiritual practices that he taught is uh, imaginative prayer, but specifically he would have some of his students imagine the end of their lives. And he would say, put yourself, whatever that might look like, at the end of your life and imagine how you were a Christian to others. It's really interesting. I've actually tried to do it. It's, it's kind of hard. It's tricky. You've got to get in the right headspace to do it. But imagine yourself at the end of your life, and how were you a Christian to others? Isn't that an interesting way of thinking? How was I a Christian? <laughs> like, what did that look like in my life? Um, and, and look, may it be said that at the end of our lives, as we're looking back at how we were Christians to others, that we didn't use Jesus as moral high ground, that we didn't use Jesus as, listen, political leverage. That we didn't use Jesus for fear-based parenting. May it not be said that that was our Christianity. Or for any other manipulative human agenda, may it not be said that we used Jesus in those ways because motives matter. That's why Paul was so serious. Galatians is one of the most serious letters that he wrote Uh, In fact, he was downright angry at times because motives matter. Why we do the Christian stuff and how we do the Christian stuff matters. Why? Well, point number two. The second thing Paul draws out is that the cross matters. Motives matter and the cross matters. Look at verse 14. As for me, may I never boast about anything except the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Because of that cross, my interest in this world has been crucified and the world's interest in me has also died. You see, without the cross, without Jesus, we can have a soft religion that doesn't change lives, it doesn't change families, it isn't offensive to our sensitive ears. But Paul knew that the cross is offensive. Did you know that in in, in ancient Roman times, in legal situations, after sentencing somebody to be crucified, Roman officials, they wouldn't even use the actual word for cross. They would use a euphemism that translates as the unlucky tree. That's how they would describe it. Why? Because the cross was the most shameful and exposing form of capital punishment that we can imagine. It was awful. You bled and you messed yourself in front of people, naked and exposed. That's how you died. The cross was awful. And the cross matters. Jesus hanging on the cross represents perfect innocence, being butchered on an instrument of ultimate shame. Two things that should not go together. Perfect innocence, butchered on a cross of ultimate shame. The cross, listen, is the definition of what we do to one another and to ourselves. The cross is is a symbol of all of human history, what humans have been doing to each other, exposing and shaming and killing each other. The cross is even a symbol of what we do to God. The cross was awful. And and sorry for the rant, but let me just keep ranting for a second because I've lately just been awakened to my sense of being desensitized to the cross. Can I just confess that to you (laughs) this morning? I mean, look, I've heard about the cross my whole life. I've become desensitized to it. And I was was just awakened to that recently, how awful it was. Just the shame that Jesus went through. I was not too long ago in a... uh, in a cathedral in Europe. And if you travel around Europe, I mean, they're just everywhere, just beautiful, huge cathedrals. And, and you go in them and 
this particular one was similar to several I've been in. I mean, there were, there were, there's chapels all along the sides of these cathedrals and in the middle of the nave, it's really beautiful. There's usually a cross hanging up and, um, Anyway, and so I, you, you walk around, and there's lots of kind of weird stuff if you're not used to it. Like there are candles being lit for different things or different people, um, and there are little chapels all along where a lot of artwork a lot of times will be. And um, and I remember just walking in this one thinking the same thing that I often do. Uh, I'm, I'm kind of pessimistic about these things, like, oh, this costs so much money. You know, that's what I always think. And, uh, and you know, sometimes there's a sense of reverence that I have when I go in, but a lot of times my, my pessimistic like, side comes out, and I'm like, man, this costs so much money. Like, this, isn't, this doesn't feel like real Christianity. I'm the missions guy, so I'm like, oh, this money could have gone to, you know, all that. And that's kind of my way of thinking. And so I was thinking that this particular time when I was walking around this this uh, this this cathedral. And I went from chapel to chapel, and there was some cool artwork, and it was nice. But I just I, I was thinking, ah, so much money. This 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 is too much. Until I came to one chapel, and it was interesting because up to that point there was just grandiose, beautiful artwork in all of the different chapels. But I came to one, and it was an ugly piece of art. <laughs> it was it looked like it looked like a novice had painted it, but it was a picture of Jesus on the cross. And Jesus was ugly, and there was a lot of blood, and it wasn't pretty to look at. And can I just tell you, I lost it. I lost it in that moment. I thought, all this other stuff around, it's kind of like what we've done with Christianity. We've created all this glam and glitz and language. But that, that means something. And the desensitized state that I had been in for just a brief moment was awakened to what I remember as a child thinking, this is awful. What they did to Jesus is awful. What I have done to Jesus and my sin that has separated me is awful. The cross is the definition of what we do to one another and what we do to ourselves and even what we as human beings are willing to do to God. And on that cross, the only perfect one that has ever walked among us, he he bore our stripes. He endured our shame. He died the death that we deserve. He bore the weight of our sin on his shoulders. Listen, every lie, every murder, every injustice done to a little child, all of that was absorbed by the only innocent one on that old rugged cross. And it was there that our sin and even the power of death was crucified on that unlucky tree. The cross matters. What happened on the cross is the death of the most beautiful and innocent thing in existence on the most ugly and scandalous thing in existence. And listen, guys, it happened for you. May we not be desensitized to that. Why did he go through it? He didn't have to. He did it for us. Jesus saw you while he was on the cross, and and for him it was worth enduring the cross and despising its shame. And there's a growing trend in some church cultures to de-emphasize the cross. It's too gory, it's too shameful, it's too awful. But Paul says, as for me, may I never boast in anything except the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. The cross matters. So motives matter, the cross matters, and finally, people matter. In verses 15 and 16, Paul says this, it doesn't matter whether we have been circumcised or not. What counts is whether we have been transformed into a new creation. May God's peace and mercy be upon all who live by this principle. 
They are the new people of God. People matter. Have you ever thought about a $100 bill and what it's been through? Uh, some of you could pull out a $100 bill right now, and, but do you ever think like that could have been used to like in a drug deal or to pay for a prostitute? I mean, some really gnarly stuff could have happened with that $100 bill. But have you ever thought of that it doesn't change its value to the U.S. Treasury? Like no matter what it's been spent on, it doesn't change its value. It's still $100. That's what it's worth. And as Paul is talking about people, our value doesn't change based on the good things we've done or the bad things we've done. Based on these good works, based on being circumcised or not, like any of these things, our value doesn't change to God. You are valuable to your maker. And so maybe you're here today and you, you, know, you relate to that first point. You, you, you kind of got backwards motives for doing this Christianity thing. You've gotten off track. Or maybe you're here today and you, you don't have a relationship with God. And, and as we're talking about the cross, you've been thinking about exploring this whole Jesus thing. But, but maybe on this last point, you're here and you've done the Jesus thing for a long time. But you came in here today feeling very far from him and alone, unloved, unvalued. Like you need to do something to earn his affection. And I would just say like that $100 bill, you are valuable based on not, not based on what you do or what you don't do, you're valuable. And if you feel far from God, guess who moved? Not God. Not God. He has not moved and his posture towards you has always been love and affection. Paul says that if you have decided to follow Jesus, not through earning and striving, but simply by grace through faith, he says here that you are a new creation. And if we believe that, we have the potential to become like Paul, who said that because of the cross of Christ, because of God stopping at nothing to save us, Paul had also become crucified to the world. And what does that mean? It means that if we understand how much we are loved and valued by God, We can love others freely as God does, unhindered by our lack of self-worth. You're valuable and realizing that we're valuable, not on our own merit, but because of what he's done for us on the cross helps us to love others well. So just a a quick story to illustrate. Uh, I recently was uh, in Nigeria and I heard a story about something. uh, I, I almost didn't believe it was true, but it was confirmed by a couple of different guys who who knew about this situation, but you guys know in the north of Nigeria, there's this pretty gnarly terrorist organization called Boko Haram. Have you heard of those guys? Gnarly stuff. I mean, literally uh, uh, kidnapping Christians, burning down churches. There was a a particular faction of Boko Haram. These guys said that they had had just burned down something like 20 churches in a a certain region in the north of Nigeria. very radical Islam uh, that was being preached among those guys and, and uh, you know, very militant guys. And so 20 churches had been burned down. They were ready to burn down another church and they were on their way to do it. And what happened was one of the guys, one of the terrorists said, hey, uh, I don't know if I can burn down that particular church. He said, uh, they have this free school they provide and my two little sisters who would never be able to go to school have been going to school there. And then this other guy, this other terrorist pipes up and he says that he was also hesitant because members of the church had provided food for his struggling aunt uh, after her husband had died. And then another guy said that the church had put a roof on his mom's house. And one by one, they turned around 
and went back and, and the church evidently never was burned to the ground. It was a crazy story. There's a lot more to that story. It was a beautiful story. Um, you see, in the face of these guys, of their enemies, this particular church had chosen to love. And, and there are three options when we're facing persecution. We can be tempted, like the Galatians were, to blend in and make everyone happy, to have this really sweet, pretty gospel that's actually no gospel at all. We can fight back. You know, this church in Nigeria certainly could have fought back, and there have been militant Christians over the years, which is not the way of Jesus. We could fight back. We could claim moral and ethical authority. People do this on social media all the time. We can fight back. Or we can love radically despite what it costs us. Here's how I want to just kind of blend these things in together because we've said motives matter and the cross matters and people matter, but here's where it blends together. You ready? Humans naturally choose the way of the cross, hurting and shaming. That's, that's, that's the human instinct, some version of that. We choose the way of the cross. And again, the cross is the declaration of what we do to one another and what we do to ourselves and even what we'll do to God. That's the cross. On the flip side... The resurrection is the declaration of what God does to us in return. We kill, we lie, we hurt, we shame. This is the way of humanity. It's been for thousands of years. Our posture toward one another is the cross. And God's response is resurrection, is love and life. And that is what we must step into. That's why the book of Galatians is so important because we can't do anything to earn our salvation. It's all about what Jesus has done for us and our response out of that must be what his response was for us, which is love to others. Love is the way of Jesus. Henry Nouwen said this, and he really, this whole sermon could be summarized right here. The knowledge of Jesus's heart is a knowledge of the heart. And when we live in the world with that knowledge, we cannot do other than bring healing, reconciliation, new life, and hope wherever we go. The desire to be relevant and successful gradually disappear. And our only desire will be to say with our whole being to our brothers and sisters of the human race, you are loved. There is no reason to be afraid. This is Christianity. So I want to ask the band to come up, and I want to tell a final story, if that's okay. Um, we'll go into our time of Selah in just a second. Um, I heard about this story not too long ago. Uh, there was a pastor that, you guys remember the Sandy Hook massacre? Remember that one? It's hard to keep up with them these days, isn't it? <laughs> Unfortunately. But that one was particularly awful. Uh, Adam Lanza, 20 years old, goes into this school and 26 teachers and students taken out. It was awful. I remember thinking, it was like, I think 2012, it was awful. It's awful. You guys remember it was right before Christmas? Kind of like just a few days after where we're at now on the calendar. And there was a particular church uh, who's just a few days before Christmas, they were going to have a memorial uh, and just mourn and grieve and recognize what had happened at Sandy Hook. And so the pastor had the idea of reading each name that was killed 
and lighting a candle and then ringing a bell and just sitting with that in silence and then reading the next name, lighting a candle, ringing a bell. Doing this to help her congregation grieve. And so they started to do it, but right before they got ready, she, she told her intern, person who was pretty new to the faith, she said, uh, you got to go get some candles, run to the store real quick, gave him some money. She said, uh, get 26 candles. And the intern said, don't you mean 27? She said, what are you talking about? And he looked at her and she said, oh, I can't do that. See, this intern had been through a lot. And I'd been a horrible person, (laughs) had been radically saved through the love of Jesus Christ. And so he knew what it was like to be forgiven. He knew what it was like to be loved when it's not, it doesn't make any sense. And so somehow he had the audacity to say, we should light a candle for Adam Lanza, the shooter. And the pastor was very hesitant. And finally she realized well, then what did I sign up for if we don't light this candle? What, what do we sign up for for this Jesus thing? Because the reason Paul wrote the book of Galatians is to help us understand that all of us are Adam Lanza, that all of us, our sin has spat in the face of God. All of us. None of us deserve what Jesus did on the cross for us. None of us. All is grace. All is grace. That's why the book of Galatians is so important. It's to help us to understand that we have nothing to boast about except for the cross of Jesus Christ and what he did for us. And I want to tell you today, if you have never put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, his unrelenting posture towards you is love and grace and mercy. No matter what you've done, he would light a candle for you today. He did it on a cross. Our posture toward people and even God himself is the cross. His posture toward us is resurrection and love and life. And therefore we can live. That is Christianity. Lord Jesus, as we meditate on these things over the next few minutes, as we meditate on concepts of grace, unmerited favor, a gift given to us when we don't deserve it. Lord, I pray that you would help us to step into the right motives for doing what we do, for living as we're called to live, for being Christians, a word that's been hijacked in our culture. Would you draw us back to the cross? Even now, Lord, as We're closing our eyes. I just pray even in our mind's eye that like I was able to see in that cathedral, we could see a picture of you on the cross. As I imagine that myself, I see your gaze on me, on my unworthiness. And I don't don't know how to define it. All All I can see is that there's love in your eyes. Thank you for the cross. Thank you, Lord, that there's nothing that we can do to get to the top of the mountain. So you came down the mountain to us. That you lived the life we couldn't live. That you died the death that we deserve. And that you rose up so that we might have life. So as we're just quiet before you for the next few minutes, would you speak to us, Lord?
if we've become desensitized to the cross or if we've never put our faith and trust in you in the first place, would you just speak to us? Would you call us home?